Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, am set the challenge to find the best things about an episode of Doctor Who chosen by a friend of mine. Hello, Toby. My name's Alex Moore, and I work in locations for both TV and film. You can find me on Twitter at AlexMoore99. The story that I have chosen is The Time Monster. Hello, my name is Inuga Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And anything else that avoids me saying, okay, so, and then the name of the episode we're about to watch, which is The Time Monster, episode two. Which, if you're watching along with me, and there's no obligation so to do, I'll try my best to capture what's going on for those of you that don't have a visual aid. But if you are watching, hello, hi, uh, press play now. Seamless, apart from a slight pause. I'll get it right one of these days. Um, hello, welcome to the Time Monster 2. I was going to bed, but uh, I've been sleeping. We're in a pandemic. I'm watching the Time Monster. I've... Yeah, I've not looked it up. Um, so anything I tell you is pure supposition. I'm not Wikipedia. Uh, I was thinking, though, because Barry Ashton, who I mentioned last episode, who you can see in this shot playing Proctor, uh, died in 1978. So, you know, less than 10 years after this. Uh, aged 43. She's younger than me. And it's really, this is called Happy Times and Places in order to, it's called Happy Times and Places and you shall watch episodes of Doctor with me and I shall point out everyone who's died and the tragic circumstances under which they did. Uh, but Doctor Who does take me to my Happy Times and Places but it also, actually interestingly, it sometimes reminds me of sad things. My granddad's funeral, which was the same week as the funeral in remembrance of the Daleks, episode one. Uh, you know, stories I watched to cheer me up when I was sad about breakup of a relationship or something. Ha! I love... <laughs> Bess's arrival is glorious. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was a great shot. I think because the speedy up bit works when it's going in a straight line more than more than when it's going around corners. That looks a bit pony, but that 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 was pure Doctor Who. <laughs> Just this car arriving and stopping. That was glorious. And the fact that it's that car. Lovely little choice. Things like that. You know, Bessie is a great this car. Um I, I don't know how I can, I'm not a car person, I've never driven. But I don't know how can I, I can have affection for a vehicle that has a personality without it being like Kit and a talking car. I would hate that. That would annoy me. Not that Kit annoys me. Night Rider was great fun when I was younger. But, um, oh yes, they, now they did a test to see if this makeup would, would work. Uh, yeah, poor old, oh, and yeah, poor old Stuart, the comedy character, comes the old man. That makeup's pretty good. Um, 
And yes, they did do a special test for that. Uh, so, <laughs> well, I'm going to write down Bessie arriving just in case I go, because I like the bit when that actor did that. I like Joe's yellow boots as well. Wow, they go all the way up to the knee. They're very exciting. Time Monster 2. I like Bessie zooming in. Uh, although, under this current... Uh, pestilence that grips us all uh, zooming uh, uh, is a different thing uh, I wonder if the person that invented zoom uh, realised quite what how, how, how quickly it would become part of the vernacular uh, uh, as soon as we all got stuck inside I am isolating because my partner is uh, disabled and vulnerable uh, so uh, we can't. We, uh, we walk the dog when there's nobody about, uh, and I do the shopping. There's a shop ne pretty much next door, for an elderly couple down the road who can't go out at all, called Ian and Barbara. Is that the reason I'm doing the shopping for them? I don't know. I have to be honest. Probably partially. <laughs> um, and I thought we'd be doing very well under. Uh, the quarantine I'm self-employed uh, I'm used to not knowing where any money's coming from I travel around a lot for work I quite like being at home but uh, we've struggled a bit and I and, and I think with your only outlets being the internet I find the internet a baleful place um, it used to be people that said horrible things just did so in the privacy of their own home and you didn't hear them um, and it's a shame because I think the best of people and I hope the best of everybody uh, and I think the internet focuses on our worst things so I have decided to try Kronos uh, to do the positive thing which is why at 10 to 1 <laughs> in the morning I'm staying up because I haven't been sleeping to watch the time monster and to try and make something positive out of that by having you join me. So hello, I've been so positive so far, haven't I? But I, but I, I just didn't want to be one of. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to give the impression. Well, I don't think I do, but that uh, it's a sort of a jolliness that comes easily to me. If anything, the opposite. And I think that's what I was talking about at the beginning about Doctor Who takes us to those happy times and places but I think also and all the loss that's associated with it I'm always sad you know when we look you know when our heroes depart and you know that's that's happened a lot you know when I was growing up a world without Nicholas Courtney seemed an impossibility a world without Terence Dix any number of these people associated with with these shows um but as we've gone on, we've lost them. Now, Neville Barber, who plays Dr. This chap. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a curious idea, because he's in K9 and Company as Juno... Juno what's she called? Juno Dawson's husband? No, Juno Dawson. No, Juno Dawson is an author who I know. Hello. Probably is probably got far grander things to be doing. Uh, Linda Poland. I see. I know the actors' names. Uh, in K9 and Company, you know, 
she's coming you know they're coming she's coming good they say suspiciously and then turn out not to be the baddies in the end so why are they talking like that um so he's in canine and company neville barber comes back to the be quiet barry ashton you've, you've already had a line um and uh so he yeah he comes back for canine company but i never quite got my the hang of neville barber because i he's credited it might just be in the omnibus of the video as as playing himself in uh, edge of darkness i was like well, why is he playing himself and he's a he's a tv interviewer um but, but i i don't know if neville barber was a tv interviewer I just always thought he was an actor. And then I saw somebody proofreading a book on a train once. I, do this, I look around when I'm on trains. Uh, and it said the autobiography of Neville Barber. And I wanted to ask, but I was too shy and I never did. And it's never been published. So, you know, for for whatever reason. But I was thinking, well, what what's Neville Barber done to write an autobiography? And perhaps he was just a autobiography as a character actor. But it, it, it never happened. Um, so I never quite, quite got to grips with... Neville Barber. I know disparate things about him, but they don't all hang together. I, uh, Nicholas Courtney has such a charm, doesn't he? He's um, and, and it and it needs. I know Unit is cosy, but it is a you know it is a kids show, and you you need the soldiers to to have. Well, to be done in the way that they're done, I think. I think. I think the brigadier is brilliant. I. Th I think Sergeant Bent. I love Sergeant Benton. Uh, frequently in. Uh, in the Pertwee era, the little moments of magic are given to Sergeant Benton, and 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 I think John Levine always delivers. Um, you know, I think he's he's an he's an actor who, who has, limitations. And I think most actors actually have, have limitations, um, but but with when he's when he's asked to do the stuff that he can do really well, he does it really really well. And I think they write for him well. Uh, and actually, I think sometimes directors like Douglas Camfield bring him bring him a bit out of his limitations and make him do stuff that perhaps he might not have had the confidence to do. Um, he's he's he's. Yeah, he always takes a step up and shows a different side of himself when Camfield's directing. But I know he was very fond of Douglas Camfield and uh, and, and maybe that emboldened him. Um, chronovores, time eaters. That, that is quite a sense. It can swallow a life as quick as a burr constrictor can swallow a rabbit, fur and all. That's that's a, that's quite a metaphor. I do like this set. I covet that desk, and the master smoking. Is he smoking? No, but he's having a brandy. He is smoking a cigar. Um, and what was I, what was I talking about when I mentioned Sergeant? But anyway, I'm um, I'm sure I'll. I'll get, oh, Paul Bernard, I was going to mention. Because, how funny, uh, I don't know what order I'm releasing these in, but this is my second Pertwee story, and the first one was Day of the Daleks, which was directed by Paul Bernard. And uh, 
who I think goes to town in Day of the Daleks and is really inventive. Not all of it works. There's a couple of quirks, like the the, the cliffhanger music staying in the next episode. Um, but there's lots of depth of field stuff and there's lots of crossfades and, 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 and sort of camera trickery with monitor screens that I... I I think this could have done with because this is this is less distinctive a story visually. Uh, I mean, we are in offices and labs, which are the sort of meat and drink of Doctor Who this time. And actually, the lighting's quite nice here, um, although it is also it's um, it's uh, it's not quite videotape quality, is it? Because this is a this is a reverse standards, I think, from a from an American print. So it has it has a slightly grainier quality than it would have, and maybe its its stark original videotape would have been less forgiving. Isn't it interesting that actually sometimes um, a bit of degrading can uh, can, can 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 benefit a story? Although I like I like the I get the impression there's a There's a sort of log fire going here, although that might be actually there's a flashing bulb in my house, so it might be that. But anyway, I like I like I like the lighting and the 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 design of this office. Yeah, he, he, that was in, in in episode one. I made the mistake of thinking Percival was hard to uh, hypnotise. It was actually really easy. <laughs> um. Yeah, so Paul Paul Bernard because he he had been a designer. Um, but we never he we were too late to get him on the DVD range. He uh, he died prior to that. Um, and I think only gave a couple of interviews. Um, I remember a Doc Two magazine special on the Pert we were saying you know that he'd left the business and. Uh, he, he, you know, there were directors like Michael Bryant and uh, um, any number of others, um, David Maloney, people like that, who, who gave interviews to Doc Two magazine, and I think they felt we had an angle on. But Paul Bernard, we never quite did. You, I think he did art exhibitions in later life. I remember reading an obit for him in the Times, I think, that, that talked about his art. Um, oh. It's always promising when Benton's on hand, it is on hand, because you know you'll get a moment of bravery or a moment of um, thwarted keenness. <laughs> Um, but yeah, when we did the DVD commentary for this, it was a tricky one. Actually, I did no, I, I I did DVD commentaries for John Kelly uh, because I was suggested to him, and he was keen to have a mon moderator uh, for the rescue in the Romans, and then and then eventually I did a Pertwee story. And actually, Terence Dixon, I did the. The Peladon ones and uh, Terence Dix and Barry Letts didn't want a moderator um, and and were quite dubious about me being there and um, I think said so quietly, weren't mean to me at all. And actually Barry v 
very gallantly after the two days that we did the, the Peladon saga, actually made a point of pointedly publicly, well, you know, saying in front of John and in front of me, you know, I, I didn't think we needed a monitor and, and I was wrong. And, you know, so he was just very nice. But, but, but I think he'd been aware that I'd been made aware at the beginning they were dubious, which was absolutely fair enough. So he, he equally wanted to, to sort of make a public show of, 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 of rescinding that dubiousness. Oh, gosh, the Atlantis comes in a lot earlier than uh, uh, I always think. I know this always surprises me, because I think it surprised me when I did Running Through Corridor. It goes, Donald, Donald Eccles. Uh, an actor who I, I think John Pert remembered he was good at making paper aeroplanes. Oh, Aidan Murphy as Hippias. Aidan Murphy is the reason, the reason the actor Aidan Gillen off of... Uh, Game of Thrones and Peaky Blinders and Queer as Folk is called Aidan Gillen because Aidan Gillen's real name is Aidan Murphy. Um, but Aidan Murphy's already called Aidan Murphy. So uh, with equity has that name registered. So there's a fact. Oh. Um, so Joe jo better not stand in front of... Uh, it's a good job she wasn't wearing that in Day of the Daleks because... Uh, that all the CSO was yellow, she'd have disappeared. Um, uh, so, yes, yeah, so the commentary came about because John Kelly didn't do the commentary for the Time Monster, and I thought, well, you know, one person works with me, that that's nice. So, if, if ever he does a commentary, uh, he, I, I might be in with a shot. But then somebody had ticked a column in the Time Monster preparatory notes or whatever somewhere saying the commentary has been done because when John Levine had been in the UK he'd recorded there were a couple of scenes in this that he liked he does about 15 minutes an episode to, on this episode because Benton gets a good bit oh that's better and I recall that being really quite affecting in the book um I, and I think now it would be it would probably be much more emotional but um they don't push those buttons in quite that way in the 70s. And that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But uh, I, I think you definitely go for, for a much more sort of genuine, emotional, psychological insight into the jolly young man being aged. Good part to play, though, being... Uh, Jolly old Stuart, and then <laughs> old old Stuart. Um, and I suppose the fact that he's got that very deep, deep voice helps lend itself to when he's older. Oh, good, good casting. Um, so anyway, when they came to do the Time Monster, they went, oh, somebody ticked. You know, the commentary had been done. Well. 15 minutes of the commentary had done, been done and it was only when they'd done everything else on the disc that I think somebody checked and went, you know, that tick, um, it's, it's only a tick for 15 minutes on episode two and I think somebody <coughs> said, well, and I, so I think they didn't have many resources uh, so knew they wouldn't be able to get many people and I think they were going to always get Barry Letts um and Mar and Mary McDougall did it, and then Susan Penhalligan for her episodes. 
was already cutting the budget tight. And I think they thought with that scant lineup, they would need somebody to hold it together. So it was a different producer, it was Steve Broster. Uh, and he rang. And I knew Steve was doing Ambassadors of Death because I'd mentioned I wanted to do it because it's one of my favourite stories. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's my favourite story. It fluctuates. Uh, and so Steve rang and said, look, can you, could you do it? But I, I honestly, I haven't got any money. So I did the Time Monster for free on the proviso that I got to do Ambassadors of Death. And that got me then working with Steve, who I'd not worked with before. So then suddenly two different moderate uh, commentary producers started working with me sort of independently i wasn't suddenly the the moderator guy um, and steve didn't always use me actually he used nick Pegg, for example on on resurrection and he used mark Ayers a couple of times but it, it, it got me got me in the fold so i think sometimes my ubiquity on the range looks like i i, I was just you know i was just hanging around I, I, and, and when in fact some of them happen quite independently i love this uh Benton stuff. Um, oh, uh, the oh, the master can do a very good impression of uh, Nick of the Brigadier. That's superb. Um, but I think this is gonna. I've got to write this down because I loved this when it was in the book. Um, and, and and sometimes the bits that, although it was a Terence Dix book, so I knew it probably was in it. Because sometimes your favourite bits from the Target novels, especially if they're written by Malcolm Hulk, aren't in the TV version, but as this was a later book, and it was a Terence Dick's book, I suspected it was pretty much verbatim. Um, and I was pleased to see it was, because I love Benton, uh, if not outsmarting the master. Well, it is, it's outsmarting the master. It, the master thinks he's pulled the wool over Benton's eyes, but Benton has clocked him. And so he gets he gets a moment. And that's, but Because Benton's often just there to sort of shoot at the monsters and radio through and uh all of that he he pulls one over the major villain and i and i like the bit later when sort of you know the the, the master sort of acknowledges uh that yeah the ever resourceful sergeant benton and here he is uh one step ahead of the master hapless old sergeant benton which is nice because although he gets those comedy moments it sort of shows well no but he's a you know he's a sergeant and he's a you know, he's a he's a handy soldier. And these were the days when John Levine uh, wanted to do the commentaries on his own, um, which, ah, bless it, you know, comes is something that could seem desperately arrogant were it not for the fact that actually it comes from it. it, it, it it's the opposite. It's it, 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 it's it's him. Uh, preserving himself from feeling like he, he, he might not he might not do it as well with other people there he might feel intimidated uh, we're complicated people um and john john is a complicated person but uh i think sometimes sometimes uh when he's a when it's, it's suggested he's being resourceful sergeant Mendon, uh it, when he's being you know, trying to steal the limelight. It's actually that he's he's less sure of himself than he sometimes shows. Um, I, I, yeah, I like this. I li and I like the fact that, again, the master, who could be so aloof from Sergeant Benton, not actually have anything to do with him, has this, I know that's, 
I know that's, you know, the unit family being a bit cosy as well. Uh, oh, he does it so well. Yeah, and the that's the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> Yay, that's the best thing about it. Um, uh, so I'll have to tell you more about the commentary because there's more to tell about the commentary. The original commentary of this. I've, I've, I've commentated on this before. I'm very lucky. Um, and in fact, God, on on the original commentary of this, I'm the only person still alive from it. My God. Um, uh, Donald Eccles was killed in a car accident, I seem to recall, driving back from a from a film shoot. Uh, but he always played old men. He's in the John Mills Quatermass playing a really old man. It's a really funny part, actually. Uh, I haven't slept... Uh, I haven't slept for, oh, quite a number of years. He's also in the banned Doomwatch episode, Sex and Violence, which has got Bernard Horsfall and him and uh, uh, Eric Pollard from Emmerdale, Chris Jattel, sitting around talking about banning things. Uh... Uh, that, yeah, John, John John Wise does a quite hilarious. Fortunately, it's sort of blocked out by a not very good fade and some blinding light. But John Wise, when he turns around and looks shocked at the master, uh, uh, and and the appearance of a startled old man. That's the cliffhanger, isn't it? The appearance of a slightly startled old man. Um, <laughs> um, wonder more. I wonder. It's a Doctor Cook, Neville Barber. I was trying to remember. Oh, nice single single billing for... Uh... Somebody wrote to Matrix Databank in Doctor Who magazine and asked about Keith Dalton, the neophyte, and uh, uh, and they said, well, his, his agent is at this address, but uh, there's a sort of warning saying his, his career has not reached the heights he might have done, so he might be quite reluctant to write to you. I, I, you know, it wasn't just a, we'll forward it. There was a sort of warning uh, that you might not get the response you want. Um I've, 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 uh, yes, I don't know anything much about uh, Keith Dalton apart from that. Uh, now, um, my favourite bit is the master um, thinking he's outwitted Sergeant Benton, Sergeant Benton outwitting the master, and then the master outwitting Sergeant Benton. That is easily, uh, that is an easy one to choose as my favourite bit for episode two. So what has Alex Moore chosen as his. My best thing about episode two, and possibly the whole story, is Roger Delgado. As ever, he's wonderfully manipulative as a master, and somehow manages to play the mad scientist whilst being in total control. Hmm, well, Roger Delgado was involved in my favourite bit, but it's not, it's not that bit. Hmm, Roger Delgado. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a score draw. So he said Roger Delgado, and I said Benton Master. Okay. Even Stevens. Well, look, um, I should go to bed. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed sitting with me while I rabbit on through the time monster. I'll rabbit on some more. <laughs> Fur and all, next time.
Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest this time is Alex Moore, who can be found on Twitter at Alex Moore, with an E on the end, 99. Thanks are due to my patrons, the latest of whom at the time of recording are Ruben Herfindahl, Andrew, Ian Gillespie, Simon Ash, Lisa C. Greco, Dave Stevens, Robert Jewell, John Curley, Tom Selinsky, Martin Bellum, Darren Mackay, Steve Hatcher, John Turner, and Tilt Areza. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates. The podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson, and the YouTube thumbnails by Gavin Rymill. You can support these and other broadcasts at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where you can subscribe to get early and extra material. Or, if you prefer to do a one-off payment, you can do so at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. And please remember to review and rate these as highly as you possibly can at all the usual outlets. And you can also, if you so desire, subscribe to my YouTube channel, where a video version of this podcast is available.